Hi, I'm Laura Shocker, executive editor for realsimple.com. Welcome to a real simple Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving and the holidays in general are about spending time with family, feeling grateful, and yes, inevitably eating a ton of food. Research shows that holiday weight gain isn't all in our heads. The average person will gain about 1.3 pounds over the season. In fact, we eat so much that there's an entire ritual in January built around resolving to lose the weight we gain during these next few months. The truth is that we're going to eat some unhealthy foods over the holidays, but we don't have to hate ourselves for it and it doesn't have to kickstart a three-month sugar binge. We spoke with two experts who talked through some of the practical and logistical eating strategies we can all employ on Thanksgiving and beyond. Throughout, we'll also hear from some guests on how they grapple with the caloric cornucopia, from a love story about pecan pie to Thanksgiving gym shaming. Our first guest is Brian Wansick, director of the Cornell University Food and Brand Lab. His research focuses on how ads, packaging, and personality traits influence the usage frequency and usage volume of healthy foods. He is also the author of the books Mindless Eating and Slim by Design. Hi, Brian. Oh, hey, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks so much for being on the show. Let's get into the first question. You know, when people think about holiday eating, we tend to talk about that one big Thanksgiving dinner or one big Christmas meal. But your research has shown that the real weight issues come in when you start binging on Halloween candy and take it all the way through the Super Bowl in January. (laughs) So talk to me about this season of eating and what we can do to keep indulgences to these truly special occasions. Oh, yes. You know, we've, we've analyzed 10,000 people at my Cornell Food and Brand Lab, you know, analyzing the wireless scales and their weighing patterns. One of the things we found is holidays make you fat. <laughs> oh, no. Well, <laughs> but rather, rather, it's not just the holidays itself. It's actually the 10 days leading up to holidays and the two days after. So every holiday that we see, whether it be Halloween or Thanksgiving or Christmas or New Year's, we'll see... About 10 days before the actual date of the holiday, weight starts ramping up and it continues about two days past every one of these holidays and it peaks and it drops down a little bit. So the, the key thing to take away from this is that a person doesn't need to get up there Thanksgiving dinner or you don't need to say no to trick-or-treating. You just want to say no to the 10 days before or the two days after. You don't want to start trick-or-treating in your own cupboard <laughs> on the 20th. Right. So as a health journalist, I've been writing about how to eat healthier at the holidays for years. And people are always saying to me, it's one day, leave us alone. And I totally agree. Like one (laughs) indulgent day isn't going to make or break your diet the same way that one day of dieting isn't going to make you lose weight. But what can we do? What are some tips to avoid that creep where you think, you know what, I blew it. So I might as well do whatever I want until January. (laughs) Well, one, one thing to keep in mind, too, is that most of these holidays, they're centered around kind of homemade food and somebody sort of showing you love by, by making the, the traditional meal they've made for the last century and a half or whatever. And so one thing is to say, you know, I am going to eat anything that people make for me that's homemade, that they've made especially for me. What I'm not going to eat is I'm not going to eat the, the pretzels that are put out around the house. I'm not going to eat the store-bought cinnamon rolls that are there for breakfast in the morning because that doesn't make anybody feel good if I eat that. In fact, it makes me feel bad. Then it's not special. It's not a special feature of the holidays. So one of the things is say, look, I'm going to eat anything and everything I want. 
if it's homemade, and if it's homemade for me, especially. It reminds me of that Gilmore Girls episode where they go to four Thanksgiving dinners and they say, well, skip the rolls. <laughs> <laughs> a great example from a great TV show. Okay, now practical question. How are we going to eat four Thanksgiving dinners? How? Rory, what are we if not world champion eaters? It's too much food. It's not too much food. This is what we've been training for our whole lives. This is our destiny. This is our finest hour. Okay, okay, four dinners. Yeah, we'll skip the rolls. That'll help. So rule one, nothing store-bought. Yeah. Immediately, you're going to cut out 9 to 11% of all the calories you'd otherwise eat on Thanksgiving, simply by following that one rule. So you've done a lot of research on weight loss and mindless eating, and we might know logically that eating half an apple pie isn't the healthiest idea, but you've said that we need to do things to trick our brain into making healthier choices. Do you have other tips on how to curtail overeating over the holidays? Well, one thing that you can do is start at the end of the buffet. That's the healthiest. What we find is the first three things you encounter on a buffet end up comprising about 60% of the food you take. It's not that you just take the first three things. No, it's that you, you take most of the first three things you see. So you still have the chance to take the, the peanuts and the far grub, but you just take a whole lot less if they're the last things you see. It's just starting out where things are healthiest. There's so much emotional guilt that happens at Thanksgiving. Your great aunt tells you that she made these cheesy mashed potatoes just for you or your favorite pumpkin pie, and she's going to get offended if you don't take seconds or thirds. What do you do when that happens? What you do is you quickly flash back on this interview, and you realize that what Aunt Grace is going to remember tomorrow is not how much you took when you took a big scoop or a little scoop, but what she will remember is how many times you went back for seconds or thirds. So what you do is you take a microscopic spoonful of her dressing the first time, but then you end up being the second person or the first person in the meal to exclaim out loud, I love your dressing, Aunt Grace, and I'm going to go back for seconds. Please pass <laughs> me more dressing. She's not going to remember that you took two teaspoons full. <laughs> She's just going to remember that you had seconds. And it's a very easy way of giving people the strokes that they deserve for being concerned about your health and your happiness without having to spend the rest of the vacation on a treadmill. I love that advice. That's great. So you've done a lot of research about how our environment affects our eating. If you're the one hosting Thanksgiving dinner, what can you do to set yourself up and everybody up to have a healthier Thanksgiving? You know, hunger is the best sauce, as the French say. <laughs> so don't put out anything for them to eat that's store-bought part of the meal. If you're going to do a buffet from the side counter or something like that, great. Orient the food so that all the healthiest stuff is first. Second, you say, well, yeah, but I want to display things on the, on the table. You know, I want people to see this, this table or plenty. Okay, then here's what we're going to do. We're going to have the stuff on the table to begin with where people see it. And then you move to the side counter because you see there's a lot of people sitting at the table. We need a lot of room. And the only stuff you leave on the table that being the health things you want them to have seconds and thirds and fourths of. Using smaller plates, of course, our research has shown people serve 22% less on smaller plates. And that works well for Thanksgiving if you're using the old plates that have been handed down from your grandmother because they definitely are smaller than the ones you got at your wedding. Using slightly smaller serving spoons than you otherwise would can cut how much people serve by about 14%.
My name is Kelsey Miller. I'm an author and a writer. I'm the author of Big Girl and the creator of the Anti-Diet Project and a features writer at Refinery29 and other places. And holiday eating, as it has been for many women, it was for a very long time a huge issue for me. It's like the Olympics of dieting and things like that. The thing that really radically changed it for me was to recognize this as normal behavior. We live in a diet-centric culture where restriction is the norm and there's all these food rules and they're constantly changing. So we're constantly in a state of feeling that we're doing something wrong, especially when it comes to things like what we call emotional eating or holiday eating. That's often very demonized. But what most of us don't realize is that this is something that, quote-unquote, normal eaters do as well. Certainly, you know, binge behavior and, and disordered eating is something that needs to be addressed as a real problem, but it doesn't follow that every meal or item that you eat that is not entirely based on hunger and health is forbidden bad eating. Holiday eating is something that is, is socialized and it's, it's totally normal. So that's the word that I carry with me when I go through the holidays. Normal, normal, normal. Know that life goes back to normal after the holidays and so will eating. Balance happens on its own if you let it. But if you sort of wrench yourself in the other direction and yank the steering wheel and try and frantically course correct, then you're just going to wind up swinging into another extreme. The best thing you can do is just sort of let yourself recalibrate, follow your body, follow your needs, and not punish yourself for all these things, and you'll be okay. So don't think about it as, quote, unquote, starting fresh. Just think of it as keeping going. I want to talk, too, about your recent research about how holiday weight gain is real and how the average person gains about 1.3 pounds. Yeah, and that's not just the average person. That's the average person who has wireless scales, who's diligent about weighing themselves, who's really... Right. Yeah, for most of us, it might even be a little bit more. For a lot of people, it takes them about seven months to even lose half the weight that they gained in the last two months of the year. And so for most of us, it's probably better to have an October, November weight resolution than it is to try to develop one after the fact in January. It's a whole lot better to say, you know, the November resolution is not to gain as much weight as they usually do rather than have a January resolution that says my resolution is to lose it. I think that's a really good tip. I wanted to end by just saying, so it's the day after Thanksgiving. You didn't take any of these tips. You're thinking to yourself, I blew it. Instead of beating yourself up, what now? How do you get back on track? Well, what we've done is we've worked with hundreds of thousands of people and helped them identify how to lose weight without going on a diet. And and one thing we find is that for most people, there's really only one or two things they need to change or that they want to change or that they should change at a time in their life to get them on the right path. And then eventually three or four weeks down the road to jumpstart this whole other constellation of, of good changes in their life. Most of us do the exact opposite. We come up with all these ridiculous things. I'm never going to eat pizza again in my life. <laughs> you know, geez, it's a, it's a devil's creation. I'm never going to eat cheese. The plan sounds pretty good and it even sounds workable when we are initially creating it, but none of us do it for more than three days. Mm-hmm. And instead of realizing, look, I didn't get here overnight, um, but 
I can get out of this very predictably in a very easy manner by simply making one or two changes that are, that are best suited for me that I can do then you can get back on the right road. Because even if it's not the exact right change, as long as I continue it for three or four weeks, what I'm going to start doing, it's going to have this ripple effect that stimulates other changes. There's a lot of ways to do this, but the thing is, don't look at it as cutting out a food or don't look at it as limiting or depriving yourself of something because that just doesn't work. Instead, set up these little behavioral actions. Get you going in the right direction and keep you going that way. Thank you so much, Brian. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. This was really Absolutely. helpful. I'm Frank Bruni. I'm an op-ed columnist for the New York Times. If you're a food lover and a proven um, overeater <laughs> like I am, you kind of look forward to a big holiday meal like Thanksgiving, especially Thanksgiving with both a mix of glee and dread because there's definitely the potential for things to spin out of control. Uh, and by things, I mean my waistline. So over the years, I find myself making two big adjustments. One is to keep an eye on the, um, on the coming date and the approaching feast and the days beforehand to try to make sure to cut back a little bit on what I eat and exercise more. Um, in other words, I'm trying to build in some allowance for the extra gorging that I know I'm not going to be able to resist doing. And then, you know, when the day itself comes, I ask myself before the meal begins, which of the foods really bring me the most pleasure, which I really, really don't want to miss. And then I try to indulge in those, but not in everything else. So in my case, you know, I need the dark meat turkey. I need the stuffing from inside the bird. I don't care as much about sweet potatoes or apple pie. So I fill my plate accordingly. I I guess I think of it as mindful gluttony. And while it's not virtuous, it's as close as you really need to get to virtue on what at the end of the day is a moment of celebration and not deprivation. Our next guest is Janine Roth. Janine is the author of nine books, including the number one New York Times bestsellers, Women, Food, and God, Lost and Found, and When Food is Love. Hi, Janine. Hi, Laura. Thanks so much for being on the show. Glad to talk to you. So let's get started. When we talk about holiday eating, one of the first things that comes to mind for me is stress and the relationship between the two. You're sitting down at a table with your family. There's unresolved tensions, feelings. For many people, the way to cope is by eating all of that readily available comfort food. Why does that happen and what can we do to deal with it? Well, let's start with the what can we do part and then go to why does that happen. Perfect. The what can we do part in my opinion and in my experience, can start way before the holidays. It can start with taking good care of yourself, having a sense of what really nourishes you, how to be kind to yourself, and how to ground yourself in that. Because I think part of what happens during the holidays and certainly when you're with your family, and I can't remember who said this, if you think you're wise or enlightened, go spend a week with your family. (laughs) And I think that in terms of being with our family, since our so-called buttons, emotional buttons, got started and created with them just a look or a word, an old pattern can set it off. And also... 
a lot of times our families see us the way we were, not the way we are. And the distance between the way we were and the way we are can be vast. And yet, when they react to us or treat us the way we were, something in us responds, reacts, resists, just has some kind of emotional response to that. So the way to mediate that or titrate that, that's another way of saying, because I'm not quite sure there's really a way to avoid that altogether, but going into the holidays, if you feel grounded, if you feel strong, if you feel confident about who you are and how to take care of yourself, including how to eat, but not just how to how to eat and what to eat. M- more I'm talking now about the non-eating parts of caring for yourself. How do you do that? One of the practices that I use with my retreat students is every morning when they wake up and every night before they go to sleep, they ask themselves, what's not wrong? What's not wrong? Because our brains get so conditioned for very good reasons, as all the neuroscientists have told us, to be alert to danger and what's wrong, that it takes an effort to come back to neutral and even to positivity. But the more time you spend on what's not wrong, the more you get acclimated to that and can go easily back to that. So if you get thrown off by what a family member says and you're used to going to, okay, well, what's not wrong right now? I know this has just happened and maybe I just overate and this is just about to happen, it seems. How can I bring myself back to myself? You know, I'd say one big answer to how not to hate yourself during the holidays is how to like yourself before you enter into the holidays. My name is Virgie Tobar, and I am a body image expert and lecturer. Even when I was a little girl, I was always bigger than everyone else. I was ashamed of my body and felt that the way to redeem myself was to lose weight. I used to love hate the holidays because I knew the drill, eat all the stuff I wasn't allowed to eat, hate myself for it, make a New Year's resolution, fail at achieving it, and then start all over again. I loved the free pass I got from Thanksgiving to New Year's Eve, but I knew I would have to pay for it come January 1st when the magical spell would come to an end. My favorite part of the holidays was pecan pie. As summer turned to fall, I didn't care about the leaves changing color or pumpkins popping up on people's doorsteps. All I cared about was the fact that pecan pie and I were going to be reunited. I swear that I could hear its siren song all the way from the kitchen counter. You know you want a slice of me. I promise to unconditionally love you. My mom had taught me that delicious food was the gateway to weight gain, so my favorite snacks took on an almost unlawful status. The taboo drove my binges. I would eat and eat until I was in pain because I knew that each day brought me closer to resolution season, and so I had to make it count. About five years ago, I made the radical decision to stop dieting, cold turkey. Ironically, my pursuit of being what doctors said was a healthy weight was actually making me sick. 
It took a while, but I finally started thinking of the holidays in a new way because all that delicious food was no longer off limits 11 months of the year. I could eat pecan pie or biscuits or butter whenever I wanted, and this led to me having a really different relationship to food, one that was based in desire, not shame. Pecan pie doesn't sing me love songs from the kitchen anymore, but I have come to appreciate the silence. I like what you said about titrating, too. I think that sometimes we say, I'm going to go in and I'm going to do everything perfectly. And then if I mess up or I overeat, then I failed. And I think that then you start that inner dialogue of, of being really hard on yourself. Right. Right. That's what I call the one wrong move syndrome. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one wrong move and I'm off the deep end. One bite or 10 bites of something that I don't really think I should, quote, be eating or an entire meal where I've way overeaten and then it's all hell breaks loose. Right. And then it becomes, oh, what the hell? I've already done it. Why don't I just continue on this bingey kind of behavior? And I think it's so important to be able to regain balance by not following yourself into the trap of judgment, shame, and deprivation Mm -hmm. because you've, quote, messed up. I think expect to. To expect that you're not going to get triggered is unrealistic. Right. Plus, you might just want to eat a piece of pumpkin pie. Exactly. It is a holiday. Part of the celebration of a holiday is having communion together, breaking bread together. And good food is one of the joys of being on earth and having a body and, (laughs) you know, being with your family. You know, that is a way we can celebrate. I think the challenge that we encounter happens when we go from using food as a way to celebrate to using food as a way to numb ourselves and shut ourselves down. My name's Kathy Ladman. I am a comedian, an actor, and a writer. You know, when I was growing up, food was a huge deal. I mean, we would love to go out to eat. We talked about food. And later in life, I remember calling my dad, it was probably about 15 years ago, and asking him how he was doing. And he said, I had a bagel. Oh, wait, let me get out my food to feelings dictionary. I mean, what kind of a response is that to how you're doing to tell me what you ate? So that kind of gives you a clue as to how huge a role food played in my family. We asked our Facebook audience how they feel after a big holiday meal, and we got dozens of responses. Uh-huh. Many of them were really nice, answers like content, happy, thankful, but some of them were a little darker, uncomfortable, sick, annoyed, if I've eaten too much, bloated like a pig. Eating is so ingrained in the holiday celebration, and yet we can be so hard on ourselves after it happens. How can we forgive ourselves and change that inner dialogue to be a little kinder? Again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, is to start practicing before the holidays and then during the holidays be vigilant about not allowing yourself to devolve into shame, self-loathing, and judgment. Let's just tell the truth. Has 
attacking, shaming, depriving, and punishing yourself ever once led to any kind of change, ever once led you to, to feeling calm and relaxed in yourself wherein you can make a decision about what to eat next. Mm. The problem with shame, deprivation, force, punishment, and guilt and fear when you direct it against yourself and or, of course, anybody else, but we're not talking about that, we're talking about self-directed, is that it only leads to more shame and self-loathing. And from a place of shame and self-loathing, you do not make good decisions Mm -hmm. about food or anything else. You're contracted. It's like when a kid gets beaten, all they want to do is avoid the next beating. They don't actually learn any new behavior. They just learn to avoid and hide and protect. And that's what we do. So it doesn't work. It doesn't lead to any goodness. It doesn't lead to any kind of change. And I think it's just hard to really get that. We've been so ingrained in that. I'm Sam Zabel. I'm the social media manager at RailSimple.com. I have always loved Thanksgiving. It's my absolute favorite time of year. I actually love the big meal, and I love being surrounded by my family. But I actually have started avoiding the gym and gym classes leading up to the holiday because it completely ruins it for me. Class instructors use the big Thanksgiving meal as a threat. They say things like, push yourself to earn that pumpkin pie. And I don't want to feel bad about myself. I want to enjoy the meal whether or not I've worked out that morning. And I don't really feel like I need to earn the right to enjoy my favorite holiday. How do we start doing it? How do you start being kinder to yourself? How do you start practicing that kindness? You can just start becoming aware of sensations. You can come back into your body. The reason I say back into your body, most of us live in our minds. And Mm -hmm. certainly shame and self-loathing, deprivation, that whole cycle of downward spiraling is in our minds. We're, We're unhappy because what we're telling ourselves in our minds about ourselves. It's our thoughts that are making us really unhappy. It's what we're saying, I can't believe you did that. How could you do that? I told you not to do that. You promised you weren't going to do that. It's that cycle of frustration and what I would call agony. That just sounds like agony to me. Mm -hmm. How do you stop that? You can have a question like, what's not wrong? There's so much that's not wrong. And that is an antidote because... The other thing that neuroscientists have found is the more you focus on something intensely and consistently, and that could only mean 12 seconds a day for five times a day, so that's one minute, the neurocircuitry in your brain changes so that it becomes a default for you to see what's right or what's not wrong than to see What's wrong? The brain, as everybody says, is plastic and can change. But in order for it to change, it's like any other practice or any other muscle, so to speak. You need to work at it, make some effort. 
So what's not wrong you're obviously using your mind for? You're answering questions. If you come into your body to direct sensations, and most people don't want to hear this. You know, I start talking about landing in your body and people start rolling their eyes. But the thing is, you do have arms and legs in that moment. You have sensation. So what do your feet feel like on the floor? That gets you out of your mind immediately. Coming into the body is only in the present moment. And your mind ricochets and makes you miserable because it takes what you just did, which is already in the past, and projects it into, oh, my God, you're going to get fat. You're going to get fatter. By the end of this holiday, you're going to have gained 25 pounds. You're not going to be able to fit in your clothes. This is how it's going to be all the time. And it constructs stories. And most of us don't realize that we're miserable not because we just ate that food, but because of the stories that we tell ourselves about having just eaten that food. So we could be uncomfortable, I could feel full, or as you said, one of your, your readers said she feels like a pig, but even that, you're transposing an idea of what a, you think a pig feels like <laughs> onto what's really going on is she feels full. Right. What's really going on is the direct sensation of, oh, I'm uncomfortable in this moment. That's it. That's all. Right. The direct sensation is my stomach feels distended. There is no more room in there for another bite. That's what the direct sensation is. No story about that. Simple. So research has shown that it's not really that one or two or even three big holiday meals that's causing us to gain weight over the holidays. It's when you say forget it, I've blown it, I'll start eating healthy again in January. What can we do to shift that mindset and really, you know, pick ourselves back up after one indulgent meal? Number one, really telling the truth about what's worked and what hasn't worked in your past. Has shame, deprivation, force, guilt, and fear directed toward yourself worked? Look, look carefully. See what has worked. If it hasn't worked, then you make a commitment to stop it, to actually, okay, well, what does work? Well, kindness works, or what I call the oh, sweetie practice. You know, we go from shaming and depriving and torturing yourself to saying, oh, sweetheart, I'm so sorry that you feel so bad or that you ate that and your stomach is really puffed out now, bloated. I'm so sorry that you thought you were going to get through this meal without doing it and you did do it. So what can we do now? It's sort of like being your own loving best friend Mm -hmm. or parent. I mean, if you went to a parent child went to a parent having really messed up. Now the parent might say, okay, come here, honey, tell me what happened and let's look and see how we can make sure that this doesn't happen again and give you all the support you need so that it doesn't happen again. It's understanding that it's the love and the kindness, the sweetness, the welcoming, the tenderness that will lead to change. And it's also 
coming into and sensing your body. Right. We would never speak as cruelly to somebody else sometimes as we do to ourselves. Ever. It's heartbreaking. Right. I can be quite callous to myself. (laughs) Right. And that's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. More heartbreaking than gaining three pounds or five pounds or 10 pounds is how we beat ourselves up, how we punish ourselves, how we go through our lives with our tail between our legs, feeling small and diminished and collapsed, not feeling magnificent, not feeling capable, not feeling worthy, not feeling valuable, no matter what we weigh, no matter what we've eaten. And I'm not saying go ahead and indulge yourself. That's definitely not what I'm saying. There's a difference between repressing yourself, beating yourself up, and indulging yourself. And often when I talk about kindness, people start thinking, oh, she means, oh, okay, well, I might as well just go eat everything I want and binge. Mm -hmm. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about requires you telling the truth to yourself, requires kindness. And kindness is not indulgence. So we've talked a lot about, you know, preparing yourself before the holiday and then how to be kinder to yourself after the holiday and to rebound quickly. But what about whenever you're actually sitting down with that plate of holiday cookies or you're eating the meal? What can we do in the moment to help ourselves make healthier decisions? So the first thing somebody has to do is ask themselves whether they want to do this, whether they really do want to listen to what their bodies are saying. Some people don't want to do that. Understand that. Know that. And accept the results of that. That means you're eating to satisfy your mind. And you might not feel so well afterwards. If you're eating to satisfy your body, you get to ask your body. Your body gets to have a vote in what you eat. And your body might not be happy with sugar. Will you listen to that or not? There's nobody giving you a gold star whether you do or whether you don't. It's your own physical comfort that we're talking about, your own well-being. And physical comfort also leads to emotional and mental discomfort because when you're terribly, terribly uncomfortable, it's hard to think or feel or feel alive or vital. And I think there has to be some kind of happy medium there too because you're not going to go through the holiday without any indulgences either. And that's up to you to decide. Mm -hmm. I think that's great advice. Thank you so much, Janine. This was amazing advice and something that I'll definitely be keeping in mind over Thanksgiving. (laughs) Good. Thank you. And thank you for asking me. It's been a pleasure. Eating can be complicated any time of year. Today, we heard from experts on smart strategies for how to keep things in check. We also learned how to stop being so hard on ourselves about so-called slipping up. No matter what happens at the Thanksgiving table, tomorrow is another day to make new, healthier decisions for our bodies. I'm Laura Shocker. Thanks for joining us for a real simple Thanksgiving. This episode was edited and produced by Alana Milner. And thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply.